Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to yet another episode of Deconstructive Critique or Deconstructive Criticism en Anglais, as they say in French, by which I mean that this episode will be in English. I am your host and my name is Aaron Flam, as you may have seen on The Rubin Report, whom I have interviewed on this podcast as well before, or maybe God Saad, who I'm also interviewed on this podcast before. Deconstructive criticism is normally in Swedish, but some episodes are in English, as with today's guest, Omar Makram. The reason I mention all this is not just name-dropping, but mostly to let you know that there will be links to all the aforementioned content linked in the text about this podcast on my website, www.aaronflam.com, where you can browse to your heart's content. Omar has been a guest on my podcast before, you see. This was when I still numbered the episodes by the laws of metaphysics, why mentioning exactly what episode it is would be the only way for you to find it. Omar had just fled his native country of Egypt after discovering atheism, and in order to get to stay in Sweden, he burned a Quran, filmed it, and put it on YouTube. He did that to prove to the Swedish immigration services that he could not return to Egypt for fear of his life. Anyway, the episode was called 4.x and sign and percentage sign. Omar Makram, anti-theist, ex-Muslim, was um, the name of the episode. So, 4x and sign and percentage sign Omar Makram anti-theist ex-Muslim that's what it's called on SoundCloud I apologize profusely for the previous system for naming episodes but it's always easy to judge in hindsight and at the time the idea to number the episodes according to the laws of metaphysics i.e. randomly had sounded good to me 4x and sign percentage sign Omar Makram anti-theist ex-Muslim was recorded over Skype so video of that conversation can also be found on YouTube with a much easier easier headline, Aaron Flam's Deconstructive Critique featuring ex-Muslim Omar Makram. So relatively easier. Where we compensate for the sound in the podcast by showing our 
handsome faces on video, so please check them out if you want to know more about Omar. This episode is about postmodernism and Omar's new jihad against it. Omar had written a few articles that I'll also link to on the webpage about the connection between Islamism and third-wave feminism, and since I have a few thoughts on that subject myself, I thought I'd invite him to talk about it. Omar seems convinced that the common source is found in postmodernism. But before I introduce Omar, I'd like to thank you who support me via Patreon, where you can find me by searching for my name, that is Aaron Flam, Aaron with one A and Flam with one M, Aaron Flam at www.patreon.com. I also like to thank you for swishing. It helps this operation going in its struggle to crush socialism in Sweden and hopefully by doing so getting rid of one of the few arguments the international left still has to support the cause that socialism made Sweden rich rather than selling iron ore to the Nazis during the war. And if you want to swish me but don't have the number, it's 0768943737, And thank you for donating bitcoins. I noticed you did, and that address is below this episode on any platform that you might be consuming it on. So if you want to get rid of your bitcoins, just send them to me. So thank you for supporting me and the constructive criticism. Thanks to you, I was able to travel to Denmark last week in order to interview comedian and TV show host Jonathan Spang. You might not know, or for that matter, care, but Sweden and Denmark usually don't know that much about each other, considering that they are neighbors. This might be because Sweden and Denmark seem to define themselves culturally in opposition to each other. Jonathan, who might be best described as the John Stewart of Danish state television, had recorded a sketch parodying the Swedish obsession with gender theory and intersectionality. The sketch became viral even in Sweden, which tells me that Jonathan truly managed to capture something comedically true about the difference between our two countries. It got so popular, in fact, that it was addressed at Swedish state television biggest debate show, Opinion Live, where they Skyped Jonathan to let him explain himself, but then cut him off before he could, you know, explain himself. So thus reinforcing Jonathan's claim that Swedes don't know what's going on in their country because of government and media censorship. Thanks to you, Jonathan gets the chance to explain what he meant with the sketch and with the statement he made on Swedish state television before he got cut off, the statement being that he was trying to offer us Swedes a comedic Marshall plan. So make sure you don't miss the next episode either. Another way you can support this podcast is by buying a t-shirt from my webpage www.aaronflam.com slash merchandise, either one with the text crush socialism on the front and socialism is evil dotted with a heart on the back, or your feelings are hurting my thoughts. It isn't mandatory, but it is as stylish as a healthy sexual act between consenting adults. Ironically enough, since Sweden last week made every citizen a retrospective rapist by passing a new law on how we define sexual consent. From July 1st, having sex with someone in Sweden without their explicit consent will be illegal. It used to be that a person had to say no, or otherwise oppose a sexual advance, but now the shoe is on the other foot and you need a clear yes before advancing. This means that unless the sex is fully voluntary every step of the way, it will be considered a criminal act, whether or not violence or threats were used. It also means that sex that hasn't been so before, well, you get the picture. There will also no longer be a need to prove intent for some very serious sex crimes, as the local stated, which means an alleged offender could be convicted even if he or she not actively intend to rape the victim. 
It might sound insane, but in a way I think it's good because now it is adapted to everything else here in the Upside Down, where weakness is strength and stupidity is intelligence. How did we get into this mess in the first place, one might ask oneself. Part of the explanation might be found in the following conversation with the very intelligent, brave and handsome Omar Makram. Enjoy. Omar Makram, welcome back to Deconstructive Criticism. Thank you very much. It's been Thank a while. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Yes. Yeah, well, it has been. Yes. Uh, well, last time you were here, you had just burned a Quran to get in in Sweden. How did that work out for you? Uh, it eventually it worked uh, very well. Uh, I believe the last time we spoke, I had not gotten my residence permit yet, my asylum. And uh, based on on the videos I've made, including the video of the burning the Quran and some of the articles I've written and my activity on social media, I was finally, I've been finally acknowledged as an ex-Muslim and given asylum based on that. Congratulations, I presume. Thank you very that much. That means that you only have to be quite the intellectual and burn a Quran to get into Sweden. Yeah, you have to like <laughs> mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, what have you been up to then? Um, I actually, uh, I moved to, to Stockholm uh, in July, last July. Um, so that, that has, been, has been a good step for me. And uh, I started uh, w- with school, learning Swedish. So jag kan prata lite svenska nu, men det är bättre med engelska. Yeah, I was completely shocked because I think I, the, the articles we're going to discuss later on, I, I saw them in Swedish and I was like, God damn, his Swedish is no. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> SFE <Best> is working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's coming, but yeah, t- it takes some time. And I started uh, working with the GAPF, Glöm aldrig Pelag Fadima. It's an organization that works against honor culture here in Sweden. So... That's what I've been up to. So that's what we're calling it now, honor culture and not modesty culture. <laughs> or, do, or, or are they different? Uh, well, modesty culture is a part of honor culture um, because honor culture uh, involves two main aspects. I think this is why some people get confused about what it is and they compare it to just normal male violence against women. Honor culture has to involve the belief in sexual purity or chastity and uh, a form of male guardianship or responsibility that the man has to control the sexuality of the woman to make sure she does not transgress certain, um, uh, how to say, like standards when it comes to culture or religion and so on. Because it's not only her honor, it's only also his honor. Exactly, because then if, if she engages in that, she brings shame to the man and to the family or to the community at times as well. All right, so you're going to be working with this group for a while then? Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. And you're going to start your own party? Because I, I saw a threat <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. It's like uh, I, I, when I did this uh, Val Compass and thing... Uh, it's like I'm almost 50% with almost all parties. So I agree and disagree with them all equally. <laughs> well, then you're definitely becoming Swedish then. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm too confrontational, maybe. Yes, still, still. But uh, we might be able to take that out of you. Yeah. <laughs> they well, failed with me. But good this, luck There's with something that. <laughs> biological wrong with me. Good luck with that. So um, you wrote these articles mm. uh, a while back now that was published in... Um, Göteborgs Posten, right? Yeah. And they were about two types of extremism. Yes. They were about Islamist extremism. Yes. And about leftist extremism. Yes. And why did you feel the need to write these articles? I think 
for for several reasons. One of them is uh, is that I think there there is lack of understanding about what's going on uh, when it comes to the various forms of Islamic is- extremism. I say Islamic and not Islamist because there is also some some difference there. Um, and there is so there is lack of knowledge and fear to speak about it. And because of these two factors, I felt the need that I should basically break that and contribute with with what I know and what I can say. So, what is it that's going on right now? That, that you, you because you say it's easy to say. I mean, there's a lack of understanding about yeah. what's going on. So, yeah. what's going on? You know? Yeah, I think um, I think Sweden is is uh, has been cut off from religion for such a long time that they that Swedes forgot what religion means to deeply religious people. And they uh, one one uh, person has compared that to one time to lack of empathy, and that they cannot just put themselves in, in the place of the people who really believe these things. I, I remember I was talking to to uh, a guy I know from uh, Vesepatiet, and uh, we were arguing just about that. And we were arguing about Islam and so on. And he was he just felt the need to to protect Islam, to defend it. And then in the end, he was like, but Omar, you're talking about like really old books and so on. Muslims, they can't possibly really believe these things. They are just old books. And, and I was like, okay. Well, he believes okay. in Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, let's, you can come with me now and we can go to a group of uh, Muslim friends of mine and then you can tell them that the Quran is just old book and so on and you can't really believe in these things as I said and then see the reaction. He's too modern to comprehend <laughs> that people can actually believe in an afterlife yes. uh, or that there is a God who has commanded you to live in accordance with his rules. Yes, yes, that there's a God that is telling you that uh, his throne shakes when uh, when two people of the same sex have intercourse or uh, a god that or a prophet that says that the last uh, or like judgment day will not come until the muslims have killed the jews until the 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 stone and the tree says that there is a jew behind me i've read that yeah. passage yes i also mm. read the ones about comedians because i identify more as a comedian yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but actually speaking of that it's very interesting to to like examine how much people change because i remember uh When I was perhaps 11, my aunt had uh, asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. And, you know, kids usually say, I want to be a policeman, a doctor, whatever. I told her I want to to join Hamas and, like, wage jihad against the Jews and kill them. That's uh, yeah, an she... impressive dream. And also, yeah. I'm so sorry for your, how your life turned out. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> You really <laughs> let your young self down in this case. I, I let go of my dreams. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go. I didn't so pursue wh- my dreams. So why did you think that was an honorable goal for a... How old were you? About 11, I think. All right. Yeah. So that's fairly old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I think um, gr- growing up in where I grew up, there is a certain romanticization of, of uh, jihad and... Uh, and very deep antagonism against the Jews, uh, anti-Semitism. If, if you, if you, so it's like some, not something that you. It's something that you could brag about in in respectable company that you want to kill the Jews. That's that's fine. 
In Egypt. In Egypt. Yeah, yes. yes. No, yeah. I, I, yeah. I was in, uh, I, I have been to Egypt. I've passed the bookstores. They yeah. seem quite obsessed with Israel. Yeah, 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 they are, yeah. So that, that's one thing, but I digressed a little bit what we were saying. Yeah, we were talking about <laughs> yeah. uh, what you call Islamic extremism. Yes. Because you make a distinction between Islamic extremism and Islamist extremism. And I think I sort of understand why. Yeah, yeah. Because you can be an Islamic, Islamic extremist without being an Islamist extremist. Yes. But you, the, the other way around is not as possible, I suppose. Because yeah, if, uh, if you are Islamist, you're basically Islamic. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, I, I chose the word Islamic more to 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 try to not uh, inflame people too much if I just say Muslim extremist or conservative Muslim. So it's it, it, it yeah it's uh, in the end it means the same thing like conservative Muslims or Islamic conservative. Yeah, yeah same thing. But so I would say there are confusion about what categories of Islamic extremism there are. So I see them more as concentric circles. So at the heart of that, you have the jihadists, those who basically believe in, in, uh, in jihad and in um, establishing the caliphate, and they use war and violence in order to reach their goals, uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and so on. And then there is a broader circle, of Islamists, those who have the same goal of establishing the caliphate, but they use rather the, the democratic process, ironically, to, to reach that goal. Um, not one the, vote, one man, one time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they don't necessarily subscribe to violence, although they do subscribe, subscribe to Sharia, which is also... Uh, in certain uh, yeah. aspects, a form of violence. Yeah, but I exactly. mean, it's dependable because it's also, a, I mean, a judicial system. And, and every society needs one. So when they thought about it, maybe it was better than the one they had. I'm yeah. not saying that for certain. I'm just saying it's a possibility. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so that's the, a broader circle, the Islamists. Like uh, an example of that would be the Muslim Brotherhood, for example. Then there's a much broader circle. I call them the Islamic conservatives. People who don't necessarily sub- like describe themselves as Islamists, but they hold very reactionary and regressive views on many things, uh, including free speech, uh, secularism, uh, women, um, homosexuality, people, yeah, yeah um, Jews, Jews, yeah, exactly. And they can ha- hold. Also, this is like an irony that sometimes uh, a lot of people point out. Like you see, there's a very tiny percentage of Muslims that supports ISIS. And that is true. Like It's like if you go to Egypt, like the majority would not tell you that they support ISIS. But if you basically dig down and say, yeah, but what do you think should happen to homosexuals? They should be killed. What do you think should happen to apostates? They should be killed. I was like... Yeah, so there yeah. is a correlation between uh, like a sort of uh, an ideology that permeates the entire society mm. and what you see as its most extreme forms yeah could be could be that or there is just like some some confusion like the there's there yeah like isis is a more of a what extreme. i'm asking is yeah. y- you see that there is a, a seed in this ideology that leads to isis yes yes uh definitely there is uh, i think um it's if there is a connection between belief and action. Yes. And if there is a connection between scripture and belief, then there is a connection between scripture and action. 
this is this is uh, almost inevitable, uh, especially since since uh, for the vast majority of Muslims they don't believe the scripture like the Quran, for example, to be just the word of God. They believe it to be the literal speech of God. So it's not like uh, Allah inspired Muhammad to write down these words in his limited understanding during the period and so on, and then it's open to you know interpretation, interpretation and and such. Um, it's more of a literal speech from an omniscient God who sent this as the final perfect message to humanity. So the room for maneuver is actually kind of limited for the most part. Of course, there are some disagreements on some things, but all the schools of jurisprudence, for example, in, in Sunni Islam, they have much, much, much more in common than, than, in, than in difference. Like, for example, you have three of these four schools. Uh, these four schools, for example, they all agree that apostates should be killed. The only difference is that the, like, the moderate one of them says that, yeah, but you can ask the, apostates to, uh, the apostate to go back to Islam for three days. Then if he doesn't repent, you kill him. That's that's the all right. So <laughs> the I mean, nuance. Yes. <laughs> I see. But so so how uh, widespread would you say this ideology is within the Muslim world? Because that is that could turn out to be quite a problem. Yeah, it's it's uh, when it comes to to Middle East, especially, it's quite prevalent. Um, like uh, you can examine the the views of on um, the the Pew Research has done like. Um, some survey on that, like you can see the views on homosexuality, for example, uh, people who think that homosexuality should not be allowed. It's quite high. Um, it's above ninety percent. I can't remember the numbers to be precise. I think but, it was. Yeah. I remember some Pew Research thing from a few years ago. Yeah. I remember the Jewish thing was almost a hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, th- there's a lot of these things, like deeply conservative views. They are quite supported by by a lot of people, and I think also. There is some confusion about um, how people behave or act, and also, uh, like for example, you can people can see uh, a Muslim guy who who drinks or who has like non-marital sex and so on, and they jump to the conclusion that that this is because he has found a different interpretation of Islam that makes him do these things, mm-hmm. and that's that's total bullshit because. Um, then there is no such thing as a, a sin if you interpret religion to be whatever each and every person who subscribes to this faith does. Uh, so, like, same thing in, in Middle East before the Islamic revival in the 70s and the 80s. People back then, they were not religious, so, like, not that religious, but it's not because they have a different interpretation of Islam. It's just they didn't give much of a fuck. Um, they, so what happened with uh, Islamic revivalism? Why in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, well, actually, this is a, um, a recurring phenomenon. It has happened throughout the history of Islam. Every now and then, time goes by and people move away from religion towards yeah, secularism, if you would say, or just ignore the, the religion. And then comes someone, a revivalist, mm-hmm. say, okay, now we have gone too far. That's enough with this debauchery and corruption. Let's go back to the books. Let's go back to Islam. This happens like every now and then. And uh, there were several catalysts for that in the uh, in the seventies, uh, including 
um, the oil boom and uh, basically the, the Islamic revolution in Iran. And then Saudi and Iran started to compete uh, in exporting their ideology. So, of course, Saudi is, is exporting Sunni Islam or Wahhabism and Wahhabism and Iran, Shia Islam. And um, so they started to fund clerics, scholars, um, books and so on to try to spread their their thought. And this was very convenient, of course, for Islamist groups that were in the Middle East, like displayed right into the hand of the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, uh, And then they started to 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 spread this ideology again. Uh, I remember people started to to grow beards, including my father. Uh, it was like in the early 90s. And uh, neighbors started to knock on each other's uh, doors to go to like lessons in the mosque, like religious lessons and so on. We started to cover like uh, the drawings that we had on vases and so on of angels and things like that because it's haram. And yeah. So that just happened. Yeah, yeah, that, that that has happened, and women started to put on the veil and and all that. So it it's it's a recurring phenomenon. So how come? Because you you, you then wrote a second article, yeah, uh, which was part of the same speech, as far as I know, yeah, about leftist extremists. Yeah, it was actually in the in the, in the same article, but uh, a, a second part of it. Yeah, the because they happen to be defending Islamists. At an accelerating rate. Yeah, it's it's difficult to to say exactly what what they are defending. I'm not even sure that they are aware of what they are doing. <laughs> so I would say I would uh, point out a specific group uh, within the left. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say they are postmodernists mainly. But uh, if you dig down deep into this this uh, more of the SJW culture thing, is I think they are influenced by three. Um, philosophies or three ideologies it's the new marxism that came out from the frankfurt school and critical theory and so on and postmodernism and postcolonialism which uh, cemented this kind of like anti-western attitude and the victimhood of the non-white and and one can actually see these as in three separate waves that follow upon each other can't it, to some extent, you yes. have postmodernism um, as well. You have Marxism then, and then you have yeah. postmodern, postmodernism out of that, or, and, and or then you come to postcolonialism. Yeah, after Marxism, there's there's uh, basically the Frankfurt School that wanted to um, expand on Marxism uh, to to employ more. Uh, of the schools of humanities, like uh, whether it's uh, psychoanalysis and, and existentialism and so on, in examining what's wrong with society. So it's this critical theory that uh, examining society, uh, examining society, not not just and analyzing it, not just for studying it, but rather for changing it. And from from this critical theory, also like sprung postmodernism. And postmodernism, they don't really believe in an inherent truth. Of no. any kind. They believe everything is relative. Yes, exactly. In, in its most extreme form, at least. Yes, yes. And uh, so they have like certain things that they are, one thing, they are extremely obsessed with power. Yes. Not getting into power, but rather than, than they see everything 
in the form of power dynamics and I think power they, structures. I think they get this from Nietzsche in his idea of will to power, that everything is will to power. Now, he said that in the book, yeah. but I mean, if you read all Nietzsche, then obviously he doesn't think everything is will to power. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I think they, they wanted to expand on on the class struggle of Marxism. So they wanted to not to let it only be a struggle between classes, but a struggle between a hierarchy of oppression uh, based on your identity uh, that is, is mostly like your immutable biological characteristics, your skin color, your, your sex, your uh, sexual orientation, and so on. And, um, and again, this oppressor versus oppressed, this is how they see everything. And that's deeply Marxist, isn't it? They have, I mean, yes, Marx it has divides the world into the oppressed and the oppressors. It has its roots in, in Marxism, I would say. And then when you apply it to every aspect of human life, uh, not only money, which is what Marx is obsessed with, no. uh, I mean, material wealth, that's, yeah. what he, that's how he views everything, right? Yes. But if you move into postmodernism, there are it's other... about power. Yes. Yeah. In general. In general. Yes. So they, they, for, for them, it's power that's inherently evil, not, not the misuse or abuse of power. Already, if you have power, then you are evil by virtue of having power, uh, which is, it's just, and if you don't have power, you are good by virtue of yes, not having power. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And they, they also, and that's, that's also very reductive because I think, what do you mean by reductive? Yeah. It's uh, because most of the time, Power is, in my opinion, in a liberal democracy, for example, it reflects a mixture of competence and luck, not corruption and not, not tyranny. It's a different thing, of course, in, in tyrannical countries where, yes. where power is something else. But, uh, but power is not, it's not necessarily evil. And moreover, they, they basically, they don't examine power based on like the individual but based on the collective. So by virtue of the color of your skin, you are, you could be oppressed or an oppressor. So there are several reasons why a leftist extremist would defend an Islamist, right? He can view the, uh, the Islamist as an oppress, a part of an oppressed group just by virtue of being an Islamist. Yeah, well, they, they see... And you're not born to be an Islamist, right? I mean, it's <laughs> no. something you can choose. No, but actually this... Uh, I would say the racialization of Islam is something that post-colonialism has, uh, post-colonial theory has put forward, like Edward Said in, in Orientalism, for example. He, he goes on and on about, like, treating Islam as a racial group, basically. And that if you don't like Islam, then you're a racist. This, this has come from post-colonial theory. And they see it the same way. So they see Islam and Mus Islam, the doctrine, and Muslims as one and the same thing. But that's pretty racist, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly. Uh, it's like you cannot change your religion just because you are a brown man who was born in the Middle East. Uh, I don't know. Yes, well, you yeah. are a cis brown male, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I have the male and the cis thing, but uh, at least. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I have the brown thing going yeah. on for me. <laughs> and that's why you can oppose Islam here in Sweden now. Yeah, although I, I face some opposition still. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Do you feel safe in Sweden as a critic of Islam? <sighs> oh, that's a, an interesting question. Like, uh, for, for the most part, I do feel safe. I definitely feel safer here then, than I would be in Egypt. But I think for me, I don't focus so much on, on that. I, for me, it's very important to be free, to have freedom, to say what I think, to be able to express myself, to be able to to criticize the bad ideas because I think bad ideas can only be fought with good ideas and bad speech with good speech. And this is all what we have. Uh, and I'm, and I'm trying to exercise the, the freedom to do that here. As long as you have it. As long as I have it. Yeah. Yes. Because you, you know, there are certain things happening in the Western world as well. And in Sweden above all, I think. Yeah. This is why I'm like extremely because this is, also, the reason why I had to leave my country, the, the freedom of thought and freedom of speech. And, uh, and for me, it's whenever there are any attempts, no matter how subtle, to try to curtail free speech, red lights go on right away yeah. for me. You know, like uh, I'm extremely sensitive to that. And I would definitely say we have to err on the side of too much speech than too little speech. If then you judge. chose the wrong country. I, I think I told you the first time we met. I mean, this is a country that actually celebrates silence in its national anthem. Du tysta, du glädjerika sköna. You silent, you filled with joy. You know, that's uh. basically... <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to, to work on, on changing that. Because I think actually there is a... Within a segment of this society, there is a deep need or or desire for this to change have you felt that because when you came in here before we started recording you said you've noticed that there is some sort of culture of you call it self-censorship yes. i'm totally behind you in this one this yeah. is yeah so how, how does that express itself i think uh, i would say uh here in sweden uh, there is a tendency for extreme self-consciousness and extreme reluctance to be confrontational and fear of being perceived as a bad person or a racist or and so on so uh, people are very very careful about what they say and and they they hold out often um like a I've had private conversations with people who would tell me things that they are afraid to say in public. Although, to my 
to me, these these are not like they shouldn't be controversial views at all. And even if they if they would be, I think they they should not deprive our society from from these ideas because this or what we have. They should put their ideas and words out there, and they should be examined and countered if possible. Yes, that would be lovely, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but we have our own modesty culture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be a problem. So anyway, so there are certain common traits mm. between leftist extremists and Islamist extremists, because you you have you both are opposed to free speech. Yes. Yeah. Both are collectivist. Yes. But both are not cultural relativists, are they? No, 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 no. Only one of them. I mean, <laughs> Islamists are pretty damn sure that they are the best. Yes. It's, yes. Uh, there is, of course... Uh, While the leftists are like, uh, we don't know if we're the best, and they might be good too, so let's not judge them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. But it's like, I think there is this notion of uh, Islamic supremacy that a lot, not just Islamists, a lot of like Muslims deeply believe in the, let's say the the superiority of their ideology, because they believe this is the ultimate divine truth. So, it, I bet I mean you have to, don't you? I mean, I, I mean, I I couldn't let's say be a socialist and at the same time think that this is a shit ideology and there are so <laughs> many better ideologies out there and I should really choose one, but I'm lazy, so I'm gonna. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean the idea that uh, basically it's a, it's a form of like the chosen people because only Muslims are going to heaven and everybody else is going to burn in hell. Uh, so I think if you if you believe in that, you, you it's difficult not to feel some kind of sense of superiority. I would say, and definitely there isn't any kind of relativism when it comes to that. No. So the truth is very clear, very. From the point of view, that's the only truth there is. But um, when it comes to to people who engage in identity politics and, and postmodernism and, and so on in this way, like the SJW culture, they basically because they believe the only thing that's that's bad is power. Then you have to to oppose the narrative of power, regardless. Forget about reason. Forget about evidence. There is the narrative of those whom they perceive as in power, and there is the narrative of those who are oppressed. They are supposed to support the narrative of those who are oppressed. That's it. That's even even though that the oppressed might be lying. But but uh, then again, we get to to what because what is truth and what is lying. They have their own reality, you know? Yes, of course they have their own reality. <laughs> but there is also something called reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they believe in like, they don't believe in objective reality. So they, they believe again in, in sub, subjectivism. So the, they, they put the narrative and the subjective reality of those who are oppressed on top. They have to basically support them and this, uh, or discriminate in, in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, there are several problems. I don't know. Uh, have you read much about postmodernism? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Have you read the Detmer book? No. No? He has a, he has a book. Uh, David Detmer is some sort of philosopher. Yeah. He's written a book called uh, Confronting Postmodernism, yeah. where he says that it is, it is a strange ideology because it's an ideology that says that uh, there is no truth and everything is relative. Yeah. But how can you assert this? Because if everything is relative, then 
the truth that everything is relative must be relative and thus everything cannot be relative <laughs> in which case you end up in an infinite regress yes which is a, a form of paradox i'm a cynic at heart so i know paradoxes <laughs> quite well i i end up in them all the time yeah 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 same thing about the, since they don't they are deeply suspicious of reason for example because they believe reason is a a tool for power to maintain its its privilege so to speak uh, and the same thing, if they try to convince you that there is no such thing, like that the reason is evil and that you should not listen to reason, just by doing that, yes. <laughs> they are using reason. So it's a contradiction as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they they end up uh, contradicting, contradicting themselves even more than religious zealots, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would say so. Religious I, zealots at least have some so, base. I mean, they have God, right? It, so For me, they are very concrete, actually. Like, I mean, like uh, religious zealots, they they believe in that and they, they tell you what they believe and that's it. It, it kind of like, it's a, it's a fairy tale, but... Yeah. It's a fairy tale that makes sense if you if, if you, you can, just disregard you, everything outside yeah. the fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. But uh, it's uh, actually it's something that uh, even Chomsky said, and I'm paraphrasing uh, about when it comes to postmodernism. He said it's difficult to criticize them because they don't make much sense. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, and he, uh, he was right about that at yeah, least. Yeah, at least that. Yes. yes. Uh, I, I recommend the David Detmer book, by the way. It's uh, very good. And he goes through, among others, Chomsky's uh, critique of postmodernism, which is interesting because David Detmer uses, all the time, he uses leftists as references for his critique. Yeah. So it's basically a leftist critique of postmodernism. Yeah, there, there is, uh, yeah, I should, I should check that book, but there is like Marxist critique of, of postmodernism as well, because I think uh, they would not be too too fond of the idea that there is no such thing as uh, objective truth and and reality and things like, things like that it would start to get a bit too foggy for even for marxists yes yes yeah. and then yet somehow there are groups of people who exist in this universe who actually like being postmodernists yeah they like believing in and they really believe in them yeah super contradictory things at the same time Yes, yes. Uh, but actually, if you think about it, like, for me, I, I think, of course, it's, it's a bunch of nonsense. But, uh, uh, if you think about it, it could, it is some sort of romanticism in a way that it could, it could be very intellectually appealing. Like, if you think, okay, like, uh, I could be justified in whatever view I have of life. I have my own reality and nobody has the right to tell me that I am wrong and, and all that. It's, it has a certain yes, appeal. It, it is. It doesn't it, make it's, sense, but <laughs> it's intellectually lazy. <laughs> No, no, but that, that's, that was my point uh, between the narratives of the oppressed and the oppressor. Yeah. That, so for, say, for instance, that, I mean, ISIS is on the fall rope now. I oh. mean, they're practically extinct, right? Which makes them the underdog. Yeah. Now, if you're inter an intellectually lazy postmodernist, you're supposed to support the underdog because they are the oppressed, right? Which means you now have to support ISIS. Yeah. Despite what you may, might think of them, they mm. are oppressed now. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if they would go that far, but uh, they, they would they would definitely be against talking about ISIS too much. <laughs> like, don't there's no need to criticize them too much because why bring that up when you then you have this whataboutism and relativism and but why do you bring ISIS up when we have Nazis? You know, talk about Nazis instead. <laughs> well, you can talk about both. 
Yeah. 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 Aren't Nazis and ISIS fucktards? Yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that hard, really. No. And some Jews as well. I just thought I'd stick that in because I've been very Jew-centric in the last few episodes. (laughs) We've sort of been meandering here through the conversation. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about the extreme collectivism. Yeah. Because that is something that they share, both Islamists and extreme leftists. They don't really believe in the individual. No, no. Uh, and this is um, like, again, this, this uh, collectivism is, is cemented, generally speaking, in Islam because the, the idea of the ummah, like the Muslim nation, is, is something that is, that is enshrined in the doctrine of Islam uh, and that everything you do is supposed to be for the um, to, to serve the greater Allah good and the greater good of the ummah, yeah. the, the Muslim nation. Uh, so that that sort of collectivism, of course, uh, exists in Islam. Um, and when it comes to to like ident- identitarians on the left, it's uh, it's about identity politics again. It's uh, it's ideological tribalism, um, just grouping people into into groups. And as as Sam Harris said, like this uh, leads to in group loyalty and out group hostility. Uh, and uh, this goes for both religion and for identity politics. That is, it's um, practiced mostly on the left. I mean, we all belong to collectives. I mean, it's unavoidable if you're a human. In some sense, yes, you yes. will be part of groups. Yes, and, and yeah, there is, there is. I would say there is nothing inherently wrong with that. No, if it's based on values and ideas rather than based on immutable biological characteristics. Saying that because person is black, then he would... Like hip-hop. He yeah, has to or like, like hip-hop. Or have the same kind of like values and ideas that the black people have. This is extremely racist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you organized uh, based on values and ideas, this is one thing. But if you be, if you are being grouped based on the color of your skin or ethnicity or or gender, that's it, it's horrible. But I <laughs> yeah. mean, identitarians not necessarily do this. They do they do form groups around the idea that people belong to groups. Yes, but the group in itself can be pluralistic and multicultural. It's uh, it's for me. I, I see the fact that humans are herd animals. Yeah. I see as a biological inherent trait. Uh, to counter this biological trait, I think we have to have uh, principles that are individualistic built into the groups. Yeah. So, so that you can't really say to an individual, don't sacrifice, I, I mean, sacrifice yourself for the group. You have to. Yes. I mean, you can provide the choice, which is something else. And you can say that your memory will be cherished forever within the group and your offspring will be celebrated. And that might provide some in incentive for people to sacrifice themselves but that's a different thing because it's based on free will yeah which i don't really believe in but we can get to that <laughs> but no i uh, i get what you're saying uh, uh, i think i think i also make a difference between what is natural and what is good i think we are naturally tribal but this is not always the good way to go in our current social uh, construct, but it's it's very important to be aware 
of our natural tendencies. Yes, not deny them. No, no, not denying them is catastrophic because then it's basically, it would suppress them until they just explode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, back to contradictions once more. Yeah. Because we went, for some reason, what you said got me thinking about uh, feminism and equality, which yeah. I know Islamists are big proponents of. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh whole different topic <laughs> no it's not that different because we're talking about differences and uh, likenesses between yeah. these two extremist movements no, yeah, wherein yeah. one actually defends the other at least here in the west yeah because like, islamists they don't believe in gender equality no, not, no, no, not in the secu secular western sense not even uh, islamic conservatives believe in that uh, they they do believe that uh, the um, the woman should get half the inheritance of the man. That the, the, even like the testimony of the woman is worth half of that of a man. That the man is entitled to beat his disobedient wife. Actually, instructed to beat his disobedient wife, and all that. So, and leftists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually like sometimes I I do believe there could be certain similarities between radical feminism and islamic, islamic conservatism or or some some sort um, especially when it comes to certain aspects of sexuality um like uh, uh. for example the idea of of uh, shaming the sexual physical physical sexual attraction uh, this um, this is something i th i see that it's common between between both this uh, one is like objectification or sexualization um which but islamists they celebrate sex within the marriage don't they within the marriage but also um in a way that is i mean they just hate homosexuality and uh, trans people and then you have leftists and they hate heterosexuality but they celebrate <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, of course, within the marriage, but it's it's then the the woman is it could be viewed as inferior to the man, of course, that the man has the right to demand sex, and there's there's no such thing as rape within marriage, of course, in Islam. Yes, I, uh, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not married myself, so I don't know how common it is here, but at least it counts as rape here. Yeah. But in a way, this leads to, because this is interesting, because you, here you have uh, someone who knows exactly what they believe when it comes to se human sexuality, which is the Islamists. Mm. And then you have the leftists who believe that there is no contradiction. I mean, th there's no uh, difference between men and women, mm. biologically, yeah. at the same time as men are inherently evil, mm. which is a <laughs> form of biological essentialism, and women are inherently good. Yeah. So, I mean, they can find certain things that they can believe in within the Islamic extremist environment, as long as, you know, they disregard the other part that everything is socially constructed. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. And then sometimes it's also different, like, it's interesting for me to observe uh, what would they comment on the women who don't belong to that ideology, who disagree with them, let's say women are who belong more to the right who don't agree with them if they believe that just women are by virtue of, like of being a woman is they are oppressed and so on what about women who don't subscribe to that they have internalized the patriarchy yes they have they <laughs> suffer from false consciousness that's a marxist idea yeah actually this is uh, also the, the idea of um, 
of patriarchy for, for me it's, it's very interesting coming from a patriarchal society uh, where it is there is real patriarchy no no th- we have re- i haven't did you miss me too <laughs> <laughs> how how did you perceive the swedish me too movement did you go like oh fuck the islamists were right women should just shut up <laughs> what what how did you perceive it uh, i mean i i've had like mixed views about it to be honest like on one hand it's good that women who have experienced uh, um like rape and and so on of course that they would be empowered to talk about it but at the same time it's it's not an organized movement so you get like also some extremist elements in it like the uh, and then the it it strikes a little bit as uh, at the individual agency of women for example they it's they are portrayed mainly as victim uh, victims and there's a certain extent of of like misandry or like just hating hating men that could be sometimes a surface yeah <laughs> and uh, and certain again so sexual conservatism i would say or sexual purity yes um which reminds me of of religion no i think there was a genuine sort of a public outpour of mm. emotion concerning se- sexual harassment and rape which i think is a problem a, yeah. a dialogue we should always be having of course but um <clears throat> what happened was that very quickly in sweden this is my analysis mm. people from the far left the extreme left the socialist feminists and political parties unions uh, very quickly organized these emotions into lists that everyone had to sign and then they presented it to the government and now they are going to uh, fucking make policy out of these lists yeah and there you have a problem because there you have collectivism again unchained collectivism in a liberal democracy you have to believe in the individual regardless of existence i mean i interview a a famous swedish guy all the time on this podcast called alexander bard and he doesn't believe in the individual he doesn't believe that we actually exist Mm. like when you say that you don't believe in free will these are concepts we can discuss but Mm. if you want to build a liberal western democracy Mm. then individualism is the core because that's the smallest unit of responsibility in society and you have to be held responsible for your actions on an individual basis not on a collective or group basis definitely Uh, so so if you don't have the idea the concept of the individual as the center of your group then you will become collectivist and that will lead to uh mobs and lynch justice and uh, so on yeah it it had like some elements of of mob justice that one could be a bit wary of yes Uh, well so i'm asking you to compare if you have to compare men with beards in dresses who run down the streets (laughs) setting things on fire and on the other hand uh, swedish women in dresses without beards setting things on fire what do you prefer uh I would say, out of like a sense of uh, uh, like desire to survive, I, I would still pick the women <laughs> because the Islamists would be wanting to set me on fire. <laughs> yes, they would be by now. Yeah, and uh, and and I have brown skin, so I think I'm like radical feminism would be too wary to burn. 
<laughs> I have one more thing that I want to bring up with you. I think we sort of hasted past cultural relativism yeah. and how it always leads to moral relativism, which you say in your articles. But I think we sort of covered it in the discussion anyway. Yeah. So what I want to go through is what you end your article with, which is you think that all people should be welcome in a Western society, but yeah. not all ideas and values. Right. And yeah. here we come to sort of a the kernel for anyone who's pro-free speech, as I know both you and I are. Yes. Because, you know, personally, when I look at Islamists in Sweden, mm. I, I, I don't want to limit their right to speak. I just want to limit their right to my tax money. Yeah, I, I definitely. Don't, I don't want them to be financed by I wholly agree. public spending. For uh, me, this is actually a, a strange contradiction that the secular state could finance religion. Y- yes, it's... <laughs> uh, it's Trust me, it's insane, but it has to do somewhat with socialism and redistribution of wealth, which is a whole other story. But if you were, let's say, like if you went back to basics when it comes to liberal Western democracy, then obviously the government should not be sponsoring religion. Religion can finance itself if it wants to exist. I totally agree. And it has the right to exist. And that's why I wanted to come down, because you present us with a sort of dilemma at the end Mm. of your article where you say that certain ideas are not welcome. Yes, yes. Uh, I understand the the confusion. Like, I would say that I'm a free speech fundamentalist. Uh, So I I really believe that that speech should not be limited uh, and ideas should be put out there. But uh, as I I said, like a little while before, I think um, bad ideas should be countered by good ideas and bad speech by good speech. So I think to take that stance, I'm also a moral realist, so I believe that some things are... What do you mean by moral realist, I think? Yeah, basically I I believe that um, some values are actually objectively good and some values are objectively bad as to what contributes to the well-being of society. Uh, so you have a moral based basically on logic and outcome. Yes. yes. Like, for example, I would say that, let's say, slavery or raping children or, or all these things would basically lead to a decrease in the well-being of society as a whole. And from that, I take an objective stance because, uh, yeah, this is how I think. Um, so uh, I would say that since I believe in this more realism, I'm taking a stance on what ideas are good and what ideas are bad. But that does not mean I want to censor these ideas. I want to, actually quite the opposite. I want them to be spoken out loud in order for me to be able to criticize them and counter them. And the problem is that sometimes we could take the path of like moral relativism and thinking that, yeah, there, there are no good or bad things like we have different values and that's okay. You can basically be, I don't know, a woman hating homophobe or whatever. And that's, yeah, we can coexist somehow. My take is that this is not a good idea. Like we need to criticize these values, not to shut up about them. And this is why I am taking a stance that these values and these ideas are, should not be welcome in a liberal democracy. So, but do you think you have the energy to counter these ideas for the rest of your life? I mean, you're young now and and you seem to be in good shape, but this is, uh, if you see this as part of your civic duty, which I agree with, I see it as part of my civic duty, then it's a lifelong struggle. 
and you probably won't see the end of it before you die. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a delicate balance between uh, not placing too much pressure on yourself, but at the same time, I would say it, it, it's important to, at times, even gives meaning and purpose to life. And I think that's a, actually a good thing. So I think that's something we could end on now, because I think that's a good advice that if you, uh, and I'm talking to the listener now, if you disagree with someone today, you've done your job as a citizen. Precisely. Pat, pat yourself on the shoulder and go have a smoothie. <laughs> Precisely. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Aaron. It was a pleasure. As always. Thank you for listening to Deconstructive Criticism with our guest Omar Makram. Links to Omar on Twitter, his blog and the articles can be found in the description of this episode on www.aaronflam.com. Thank you if you support me via Patreon, where you can find me by searching for my name, which is Aaron Flam. Aaron with one A and Flam with one M. Flam at www.patreon.com. I also like to thank you for swishing. It helps this operation going in its struggle to crush socialism in Sweden, and hopefully by doing so, getting rid of one of the few arguments the international left still has to support their cause. That is, that socialism made Sweden rich rather than selling iron ore to the Nazis during the war. And if you want to swish me but haven't, the number is 076-894-3737, And thank you for donating your bitcoins as well. I noticed you did, and that address is below this episode on any platform that you might be consuming it on. So uh, thank you for that. So thank you for supporting me and Deconstructive Criticism. Thanks to you, I was able to travel to Denmark last week in order to interview comedian and TV show host Jonathan Spang. He is the John Stewart of Danish state television, and there's been a few rows between our two countries of late, and I wanted to sort of sort it out with him, and I'm going down thanks to you and your donations, and I got an interview, and I'm going to, you know, publish it next week. So please stay tuned and check it out. Another way you can support this podcast is by buying a t-shirt from my webpage, aaronflam.com slash merchandise. Either one with the text crush socialism on the front and socialism is evil dotted with a heart on the back or your feelings are hurting my thoughts. It's not mandatory, but it is kind of stylish in a healthy sexual act between consenting adults kind of way. So get one before 1st of July when the new Sexual Consent Act completely redefines what that actually used to mean. And until then, I am Aaron Flam and I wish you a good unit of time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.